Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. So you guys sound like I, how I feel. So, good morning, church. Good morning. Good there we go. Yes. Look, I, I know it's Thanksgiving week. I, I understand that. We're full. We've had leftovers multiple times already. And goodness, yes. You know, you know I was telling everybody this morning, I feel like, uh, you know, in Romans, like Paul, that... Uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and so my spirit is so excited to be here, but my body would not mind going to sleep at the same time, so that's, that's where I'm at. So, <clears throat> yeah, it was Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Sweet. And now that Thanksgiving's passed, it's perfectly okay to listen to Christmas music? Yeah, see, you didn't need it, but you have my blessing now to listen to Christmas music. Go ahead and do that. So, yeah, one of the things I love about the holidays is hearing about everybody's traditions, and uh, hopefully in the coming years I get to experience those traditions with you guys. You could introduce me to some good food and whatever it is that you do. And so there's one tradition that many Americans have, at least, um, that I don't love. It's okay, um, but that's watching football, right? I mean, if my team is playing, right, if the Broncos are playing, yeah, I'm interested, but... They don't get to play, so, but this is a big deal for a lot of people. In fact, every game in the NFL on Thanksgiving has 30 million viewers at least, you know, sometimes as many as, as 40 million viewers. And so this week, I, you know, I, I tuned into a couple of games and there was teams like the Bills and the Raiders, Cowboys, uh, Lions and Bears. And what's that one thing that all these teams have in common? They have really cool names, right? Like all, all, all of them have these names that represent like ferocious animals or frontiersmen or marauders. You know, it's just like these very intimidating, uh, intimidating names. And, you know, they provoke images of danger and hunger and conquest. And then you had a team like the Saints that also played on Thanksgiving. You know, which I like because I think that's what, that, that they represent the rest of us who are just reading our Bibles and, and thanking God for Thanksgiving. So <clears throat> I had to take the analogy the whole way, sorry. <laughs> and so I mentioned the team names, you know, and their logos because there's a tribe involved in all these teams. They're fanatics, they're fans, they're worshiper, worshipers of these teams. They all carry that banner, right? That logo represents everything to them. They get it tattooed, you know, it's on bumper stickers. I mean, you could tell like what team somebody roots for by like the worship and the, the presentation of this logo. And for the Christian, you know, we have, we have that as well. We have that as well, a symbol and a reality, something that we carry on our banner. And it is the exact opposite of, of an NFL team. And so our symbol is that of a lamb, a lamb. Imagine seeing that on a football helmet. It's just not, not intimidating at all. 
And so this morning, we're going to see how this works. We're going to see the power of the Lamb and what it means uh, as the Lamb gains followers and how to live in the power of the Lamb in John chapter 1, verses 29 through 51. We're going to take another big chunk, a bite out of John 1, and this will end our series on Jesus is, as we look at the fact that Jesus is the Lamb and the ladder. <clears throat> Let me pray for us before we get in. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, how thankful we are um, for the Lamb. Lord, it's just, uh, may our hearts and our minds um, grasp everything that, that's represented in the Lamb of God and what it means um, to live sacrificially, what it means that you've sacrificed everything for us and why the image and the reality of the Lamb is the most powerful, Lord, and will reign forever, Lord. May that just reign in our hearts this morning, Lord, and may our service, Lord, our worship, our, our sermon, all of our time together, even in our conversations, may it bring you glory, Lord, and lift up the name of Jesus. Amen. And so this morning, we're going to start by looking at the Lamb in John chapter 1, verse 29. And it says this, The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the day after the day that we looked at last week as the priests and Levites were asking John, who are you that, that you're doing this? And so at this point, John is doing very, you know, probably John type stuff, telling people to repent, preparing the way for the Lord through baptism and just annoying any religious type around him. And then he sees Jesus coming towards him. And like we've seen every time, nothing gets John more excited and screaming and just yelling out all, all these theological truths and seeing Jesus. And he says, here's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And this is the es essence of the gospel message, right? This is what we cry to those around us. This morning, this would be our cry to Bakersfield, to California and the world, that we need to go to the lamb, that it's all about the sacrificial life of the lamb. And it's interesting that this is the first time in Scripture that we hear the expression, Lamb of God. This is the first time. You know, we're already three-quarters through the Bible, right? And so, but that doesn't mean that it's a new concept. So when John says this, he's not introducing something completely brand new that nobody's ever heard of and people are trying to figure out. As we'll see right now, this makes perfect sense about everything the Old Testament has built up to through prophecy and through narrative, we're going to see everything was building up this idea of the Lamb of God. And we'll see this first in Exodus 12 in the principle of the Passover Lamb. In Exodus 12, where we're not going to read, it's a very long passage. <laughs> um, it's about the, the last of the ten plagues. And the Lord is about to unleash the tenth plague and kill all the firstborn of Israel. And so he tells the Israelites, each family, <clears throat> you know, you could also share, you know, as a family, if it was small, to get a lamb and to kill it and to eat it, prepare it a certain way and take the blood of it and just smear it all over your doorposts. And what we see there is a principle of being covered in the blood of the lamb, because when judgment comes, and it does, it says every single house in Egypt had somebody die every single house except if it had the blood on the doorpost. And so we see that principle very early on, that the blood of the lamb will pass us through judgment, right? And this also means that judgment is coming for those who aren't covered, 
And so many scholars believe that when John says here uh, that he takes, that the lamb takes away the sin of the world, what is actually being said is, in the original, in the Greek, is that this is actually judgment. And so it, it does very much sound like it's the gospel message, and it is, but it's also judgment in the original language, which means when he says that he's the one that takes away the sin of the world, it's God saying, I'm going to take the sin out of the world. Like, this is it. In the Lamb, yes, you will be passed over, but judgment is going to come and get rid of sin completely. So this is a judgment as well. Now, in Isaiah 53, we see the personification of the Lamb. And this is interesting. This is something that's not preached in synagogues. Even if you go through in your synagogue and you go through the Old Testament and you go through Isaiah, 53 is not a chapter that, that people like to go through. Because we see in verses 6 and 7, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers are silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so this is interesting because now the lamb is personified. And so now there's an update to what it means to be the lamb because it says here the lamb is a he. It's a person. So the lamb is personified into a person and he will bear our iniquity and he will bear our sins because we sinned. And so we need him. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He was led to the slaughter and he didn't fight at all. And of course, that's a picture of Jesus coming down to earth, going all the way to the cross, knowing what was going to happen, but knowing also that he was the personification of the lamb. So he didn't argue it. And so we see that principle and personification. And then this morning what we see is the identification. The identification of that sacrifice in John 1, 29, <clears throat> where again it says, when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this is a very profound theological statement, right? He's identifying this reality, that, that this is him, God, who became man, as we've spent all this time studying, became man in order to be a lamb. Now, there's some who have said, many say that there's no way, there's no way John understood what he was talking about here. Like, this is a guy who eats bugs, right? He eats bugs and he hangs out in the river all day. He's in the sun all day. You know, he's just this crazy guy yelling stuff. He can't possibly comprehend when he says the Lamb of God everything that, that's implicit in that. And the truth is, we can't know. Like, we don't know everything that John knew when he said those words, but we do know two things. And the first is that John says everything that God tells him to. So as John yells out all this stuff, and you see exclamation points after everything John says, right? He's just yelling everything. The reason he's so sure and he can yell in the faces of everybody is because he heard from God. And so when John is saying something, he's just conveying this message from God. So it's completely possible that he understood. <clears throat> Secondly, John's father was Zechariah, the priest, which means every day growing up, when John's dad came home, he was covered in blood. And so I imagine once, twice, maybe dozens, hundreds of times, 
You know, young John asks his dad, why are you covered in blood? It's like having a mechanic dad or somebody who works a messy job. Why are you covered in blood? Dad, why do animals have to be killed every day? Why do you do that? And so Zechariah could then preach to John about the necessity of sacrifice, you know, that it deals with sin. All that to say, I do believe that when God tells John, Jesus, you know, is, is this sacrifice that he completely understands, at least has a very good concept about what is happening. And I think that's why he's always yelling, and that's why he's always excited. He does understand what's happening. He does understand the power of the blood. And so we have the principle, the personification, the identification. And just looking forward a little bit, we could see the magnification of the Lamb in Revelation 5, verses 9 through 14. This is some of my, my favorite verses in Scripture. Revelation 5, 9 through 14, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads of thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and in all them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is something John sees later on. This, possibly the same John is seeing this same thing. And the reality is that Jesus is not just the lamb, but he's like the conquering lamb. Like all, everybody, it says everybody underneath stuff, above stuff, all heavens, through as many, you know, it says, you know, thousands upon thousands all worship the lamb. And they worship him because he was slain. And so we need to see that now, that Christ, you know, he conquers he reigns through the fact that he was slain, through the fact that, that he was sacrificial. And so the lamb is magnified. And so this is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is the gospel message, right? This is what we need to preach to people. When we talk about Jesus, it's not Jesus homie, Jesus my boyfriend. It's like Jesus the sacrificial lamb, Jesus' death means something. Like people, we killed God. Like God came down to us and we killed him and we didn't just kill him, but he gave up his life for a reason. And the reason is so he could save you, right? That's what we should be preaching, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. The fact is Christianity is a bloody religion. It's a rated R religion and we have to be okay with the fact that, that it's bloody. We need to be covered in blood, we need to be covered in Christ's blood. That way we are passed over. Because here's the deal, we're all going to be covered in blood someday. If we're covered in Christ's blood, then we're passed over. Otherwise, we're going to be covered in our own blood as we are destroyed, right? The grapes of wrath, right? In Jeremiah, like, we will be destroyed. And I don't want that for us. 
And you will hear pushback, as I often do, that this is completely barbaric, this is uncivilized. The idea of sacrifice is absurd. Like, why, could, why would you guys believe something like that in a day and age like ours? And yet at the same time, I can tell you there's always a line to get into Planned Parenthood where people make the sacrifice to the God of convenience, which is perfectly civilized, right? You see, sacrifice is a concept that we are very aware of, but we just call it out. We are very aware of it, and we need to point to Christ and His sacrifice and communicate that to people, that He is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. I was at a hockey game last night, so my voice uh, is coming and going. So, as we move on, and we're not going to spend too much time looking at this, but I want to read verses 30 through 34. Just to make sure, as a church, we go through every single verse. We don't ever want to skip anything. This is important. Starting in verse 30, it says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He of whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that that this is the Son of God. And so what we see here, it's very cool. We see the Trinity and we see John bearing witness. It says the Spirit descended on him and he saw the Spirit stay on him. Unless you may think that, oh man, what is John talking about? Like did John, you know, the guy who eats bugs, did he eat some mushrooms or something? Has he been out in the sun too long? Did he really see this? And so I do want to point out that we have another reference in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so just to verify John's story, right, this this crazy story John is saying, Jesus says the same thing. Like, Jesus saw this exact same thing play out. And it's interesting here that it says that John doesn't know Jesus. He says that twice, right? John doesn't really know Jesus. All of John's information, as we talked about already, has come from God, right? God the Father. And so when Jesus gets baptized, at the same time that Jesus is hearing God say, you are my son, of whom I am well pleased, at the same time Jesus is also hearing, you know, John up, you know, splashing around yelling at people, this is the son of God. And so, yeah, I just think that's, that's pretty awesome. And also right here we see the Trinity, which is exciting. We see the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus working together. And you know what's happening right here is this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So this is exciting. So we know that Jesus' ministry is going to be Spirit-empowered, right? Has the Father's the blessing and the Holy Spirit to empower him. He's been called out and identified. Now it's game time. So now it's game on from here. So now it's time to gather the followers of this lamb. And Jesus, as we will see through this gospel, is the best leader, right? Like Jesus is the best leader, the best example of leadership. But of course, to be a leader, there's one prerequisite. 
you got to have a follower. And so what we see right off the bat, it's like, okay, how does this whole Christian thing start? Like, when do people start following Jesus? And we see it immediately, immediately. So verses 35 through 50, we're going to see people start to follow the Lamb. Now, of course, this is the ministry of the church. You know, we need to love and build each other up, but we also need to bring people to Jesus, right? Lead people to the leader who Jesus is. So how do people become followers of Jesus? You know, this isn't a list I made up. We're just going to go right down in Scripture like we're always going to do. And so the first thing we do is we point them to Jesus. We point them to Jesus. Going from verses 35 to 39. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Again, so excited, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was standing and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So the first followers of Jesus Christ were actually followers of John. And so what we see is that John did a great job of pointing to Jesus. Like, that was his job. Remember last week? That's his whole job is prepare the way for Jesus, point to Jesus. And he has his followers, right? I mean, in a sense, like, he already has, like, this whole group, like, gathering a church, disciples he's teaching, and yet it's not about him. And every time he sees Jesus, he's like, don't look at me. Look that way. Look at Jesus. And so even John's disciples know, okay, this is what John's been talking about follow Jesus. So the disciples like, okay, John, we'll see you around. We're going to follow Jesus. And it's kind of awkward because they start following Jesus. And here's the deal. Like, who knows how to be a Christian when there's never been one? Right? So they're just following him. So if you can imagine that, if you've ever had anybody just follow you around and you don't know why they're following you, I mean, that's what it says here. And so Jesus says, like, why are you guys following me? Like, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And they don't even know what to say. They don't, they don't know why they're following him. And so they just say, like, uh, um, are you from around here, right? You know, which is something I do when I'm nervous and I'm talking to people, right? Oh, are you from around here? Oh, wh- you know, where'd you go to school? Where do you? And they're just like, I don't, we're talking to God. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And so Jesus has the perfect response, which is come and see. Come and see. Come on, guys, come and see what this looks like. And so the next point is that we need to invite others to come and see. I mean, look, Jesus knows what to say. When we think about how and why we do stuff, Jesus has to be our first example. And this is the best example, right? When we invite people, it's just like, look, I'm not going to give you a dissertation. I'm not going to recite my four or five hours of theology Like, just come and check it out. Like, look at at, at what's happening here. And this can be done, you know, even on social media. I think it's really simple, you know, especially as our page gets going. Just share it, you know, or just invite people to our page or just invite people to church and just say, come and see. You don't have to give a big explanation. Do you go to church? No. Do you want to? Yeah, come and check it out. You know, come and see what we're doing. In January, when we start meeting in groups during the week, that's another perfect opportunity. Just come and see. It's not even church, right? We're, it's not, we're not doing church. We're just 
hanging out and, and eating together and reading scripture and just loving each other. Just come and, come and check it out. You know, who doesn't want free food? You know, the reality is, like John's disciples, you know, they may come around a little bit, and they'll hang out and they'll follow a little bit, but at some point, if they start following enough, they will encounter Christ. And so it's perfectly okay to have people just start coming, check in once in a while. You know, they're going to keep getting fed, and they will encounter Christ, but we have to, we have to invite them to come and see. Let's continue reading in verse 40, starting with verse 40. <clears throat> One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Andrew is the first disciple we know by name, right? And so fun fact, like Andrew's the coolest. He really is because Andrew's only mentioned three times. Every time he's mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. 100% of the time, Andrew is mentioned bringing someone to Jesus. He is the coolest. And so one thing we could learn from Andrew right off the bat is to share what we have found with our family, right? Share what you have found. What have you found in your faith? Peace, comfort, confidence, a new family, a new way to look at the entire world, a new way to look at yourself. What have you found? Like people are going to get lost. If we take them down Romans Road immediately, people are going to get lost. And I love theology. And I, you know, I, I love talking about it, but let's first talk about what's happening with us. How did we end up where we are and share what we have found and one of the best places to start is with our own family. Like we have access, right? Intimacy with our own family. You know, forgiveness. Like, I mean, look, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I mean, they're great. Love, love this time of year. But we also know when family meets, there's a lot of awkwardness, right? Or sometimes there's awkwardness, you know. And let's just be like the crazy relative, right? And just be okay with that and just be the relative that talks about Jesus, like, we have a built-in grace in these moments with our family. People can't, you know, I don't know. I haven't been kicked out of my family yet, but they can't kick us out, right? And so our family is a great opportunity in that space to just share what we have found in the Lord. And that's what Andrew does with Simon. And it's interesting, it doesn't say that Simon was a follower of John. So we don't know what Simon was doing. Like, he was just a dude. All we knew about him is he went fishing. You know, maybe today he was just a guy, you know, who played video games. It doesn't say anything unique about him. But Andrew comes up to him, says he's found the Messiah, introduces him to the Christ, and all of a sudden he has a new name, and he's one of the most important people who's ever lived. Because somebody just said, look what I found. Come to Christ. You know, and if you believe some traditions are jokes, um, he's also guarding the gates of heaven right now, Right? St. Peter. <laughs> and then later on, you know, in the book of Matthew, it mentions that he will be called to be a disciple. He didn't just get a new name, like, you know, whether it's days or weeks after that, he's called and he becomes a disciple of Jesus. So we share what we have found with our family, but we also need to tell our friends. <clears throat> so let's continue reading in verse 43. 
The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And what we see here is the reality of all who have come to Jesus is they were called. You can't come to Jesus unless you are called by Jesus. But then it begs the question, now what do you do after you're following Jesus? And you accept that call. You share your faith with your friends. I know, I know sometimes we have weird friends and we have friends that are super smart, right, and have degrees and know their stuff friends that are skeptical and you don't like sharing your, your faith with because they'll make fun of you. And for all those reasons, I love Nathaniel because he's that guy and we see here, like this is, this is one of my favorite exchanges between people, between Philip, Nathaniel, and then Jesus. Starting in verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, the best thing we could say, come and see. Look, dude, I'm not going to argue with you. Just come and see Jesus. Now, I do love the fact that, that Philip is talking about the Bible, and if somebody has a biblical framework, it makes it a lot easier to, to start a conversation and invite them to church. So he knows Nathanael has a framework, as we will see. So, you know, he mentions the Bible, which is perfect. But Nathaniel's response, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I hate to admit it, but I will admit it to you, church, right? Because this is where we're at now. I've probably quoted this verse more than any other verse in my life. Only I substitute the word Nazareth to whatever somebody, city somebody tells me they're from. Yeah, and it's kind of mean, but it gets me talking about the Bible a little bit, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's just a true confession. And look, Nathaniel's being witty, he's being funny, but he's being honest. Like, he's not, he's not talking junk here. He's saying what everybody else is thinking. We have documentation of this. So much historical documentation. Every, nobody thinks anything of Nazareth. It's not a place that you want to go. And we'll see, even Jesus says, this is a guy's a straight shooter. Nathaniel's a straight shooter here. And so, he goes to Jesus, and starting in verse 47... <clears throat> Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now this is an interesting exchange, right? And so what does it mean that he says that he's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit? He's basically saying, like, this guy is pretty honest, right? In the original language, he's saying, straight shooter, tells it like it is, honest, no deceit, there's no lies, and he's an Israelite, so he actually knows Scripture, so he knows what's happening, which we saw in his response when he, when he responds to Jesus. Now, one thing I always thought weird my whole life is the fact that it seems that Nathaniel is shocked when Jesus tells him that he saw him under the fig tree, Never understood. And technically, we still don't know. But Jesus could have just asked somebody, right? Or Jesus could have just made an assumption. All of you could have guessed this morning, I came from my house. And you could have said, oh, I saw you at your house this morning. Right? And you'd be right. And I'm not going to call you God, right? So what is it about this? And, And I've thought about this a lot. And so 
it's interesting because Jesus is omniscient, knows everything, and could literally talk about any moment in Nathaniel's life, right, to prove he's God. And yet he chooses this specific moment. And so we don't know what happens. But my guess is it, w- it was obviously something important to Nathaniel. So maybe Nathaniel was praying. Maybe Nathaniel had a moment where he was saying, God, do you even see me? Like, do you know who I am? You know, where is the Messiah that everybody is waiting for and talking about? And so we don't know what happened under that fig tree. But whatever it was, like Nathaniel, it meant the world to him. Something happened under that fig tree where it just, it clicked. This is the Son of God. He wasn't just jumping to an irrational conclusion. God, he, he had that moment with God, and Jesus is saying, yeah, that was me. And so he responds, Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel. As Jesus said, he's a true Israelite. He knows all these things. And so when he sees Jesus, he knows exactly who he is now. And he's one of the few people we will see that actually understood who Jesus was. You know, and again, Nathaniel, he's like witty, you know, backtalky, skeptical, and yet he's the only one that has this grand proclamation of who Jesus is. So just think about that as we talk to people. Don't assume because they like to goof around with you, seem hard-hearted or fight with you, that there's not something in them that's just ready to click and go off and just praise God on the spot. Now, I want to end our time today by looking at Jesus' response to Nathanael in verses 50 and 51. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what we're going to see here is living in the power of the Lamb means understanding the lamb as the ladder, or Jesus as the ladder. And I don't think this is something we do. I can't remember honestly, you know, outside of looking at this text where I've ever started a conversation talking about the fact that Jesus is our ladder, right? No, you know, prophet, priest, king, friend, lamb, all these things, yes. But ladder, do we sing songs about Jesus as the ladder? No, I I don't even know if such songs exist. But yet it says here, Jesus is telling Nathaniel, truly, truly, in other words, seriously, man, seriously, listen to this. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so like Nathaniel, many of us here, you know, we're thinking about Genesis, right? And the story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28, 11 and 12. It says, And he came to a certain place and stayed there. Speaking of Jacob. Stayed the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Um, I hate that that verse makes me so uncomfortable that he slept on a rock. Uh, But which means he was very tired. He was very tired if he could fall asleep on a rock. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And on top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So this is a reference to this ladder, right? This reality that God is in heaven and his angels are coming up and down on this ladder. And it's interesting in Jesus' response that we don't see in English is that the, the, it changes to being plural. So even though he's talking to Nathaniel, 
there's probably Andrew there and probably other people, and he changes the text, the tense, to everybody here. You all will see this happen. This is what everyone is going to see. And so Jesus is saying that he himself, the Son of Man, which is a reference to the book of Daniel, which we'll see other times and we'll talk about it in this gospel. He is the ladder between heaven and earth. This means for those of us who are in Christ, we have access, right? We have this access in our lives. We have this power in our lives if we are in Christ, right? We have access of flow from heaven of everything we need, you know, peace, strength, angels, as we will see. <clears throat> we have these agents of heaven. And this is important for followers of Jesus for us to know this. In verse 26, this is why John says he baptizes with water, right? That, we learned that last week. He's like, what do you guys care? I'm just putting water on people. The guy who's coming is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, right? He's going to bring the baptiz baptism from above. And so John, the whole time, is trying to get people to change their mind, right? He's like, guys, I'm preparing the way. Change your mind, change your heart, change your life. And then Jesus comes with his baptism, and then he has the power to do that. Right Before, it was just like, hey guys, grit your teeth and bear down and change yourself. But then Jesus comes with his baptism. He's like, here's the power from heaven, from this ladder, all this access coming down into my life I give to you, and now you guys have the power to do everything I'm asking you to do. And so that's the difference when he says you're going to see these things happen. Like legit, people's lives are going to be changed. It's not like reading a self-help book, you know, from, from Barnes & Noble or whatever. You know, where you can might be good for a couple of days and then, you know, you fall off and then you go back worse than you were before. Then you need another book. It's like saying, no, like this power is coming down. This power, everything that John was preparing of repentance is now possible. And so our testimony is this power in our lives. We're going to see it. We're going to see it in our lives, this power. You know, I think sometimes we don't like to think about that fact that that there's angels, and de and angels descending and ascending on this ladder. I think angels have become something that's kind of hokey, I guess. You know, we see precious moments, we see Christmas decorations, and we don't think that these angels are just incredibly awesome, like servants of God, you know, probably in armor and light and just with these missions and eyeballs all over themselves and wings, these incredible beings that our culture has dumbed down to just being us with wings, right? It's just, who cares, right? Oh, there's angels descending. Oh, okay. Like, who cares? But no, it's incredible, this power that's happening. And Jesus is saying he is that ladder himself to everything that's happening. So as we invite people, you know, to see Jesus, to come and see and to share with our friends and our family, we must do that operating in the knowledge of this power that we have the power of the gospel, the power of heaven in our lives through Christ. When we share our faith, it is not a burden that we do alone. I know it's frustrating to try and share our faith. It, it's, it's awkward and often weird and you leave defeated, but it's not up to any one of us. And of course, we're not going to do it if we think it's only up to us. But when we go into these meetings, if we understand, you know, Jesus as the ladder, something we don't really think about, we know there's all this access to angels coming down and helping us. We're not doing this work by ourselves. I cannot convince anybody to follow God. 
You can't do that. Let me, let me take that burden off of you. I don't care how smart you are and passionate you are and how much truth you speak. It is only God who can do that. But when we go into these conversations, I think it helps knowing, just like when you have like that all-star on your team, right? When you have that force on your team that you have more confidence, we should have that confidence. There's a ladder in Christ with all these angels coming down to us. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Are, talking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? How many of us take comfort in that? How many, how many of us are motivated by that? It's incredible. It's not just us. Like It's happening right now in Bakersfield. There's this ladder coming down. And so what I want for us to know is that we have this power what I don't want is for us to be like Jacob. Remember Jacob's response after this vision of the ladder? In Genesis 28, 16, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Church, we need to know it. We need to know that we have that power. This morning, like Jesus is in this place. There's a ladder in Christ from this place directly to heaven. And we need to live in that reality. Bakersfield needs us to. Bakersfield needs us to take these ladders out, right? We can't just have, you know, Home Depot in here with just all these ladders to Christ. We need to take them out into Bakersfield who needs Christ. So may we live in the power of that knowledge, everything we have in Christ, the fact that Christ is the lamb that sacrificed himself for us, which is awesome. Thank you, Lord, for that but also live in the reality that we have the ladder to heaven in us, that we are in that ladder itself and we have that power. And if we believe it, we will live it. And so we need to believe what scripture says, as we have just seen. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week and we hope We'll see you soon.